I even remember I reached out to him and was going, hey, do you want to work for me? Like, you're kind of really good at this personal branding stuff. You're like, <laughs> you're like, yeah, um, I'm just moving roles at the minute. So, you know, I got introduced to you at the very beginning of your journey and I've been watching. Yeah, and it's been really fascinating watching someone share while they're, you know, an employee and actually build their brand. And it's super scary for some people actually posting. So, you know, it's been fascinating to watch you, Rosie. So I'm really, really honored and glad to have you on and just share the journey and the ride that you've been on from, you know, I, I think when I met you must have had like maybe three, seven thousand. I can't remember. Yeah, connect for, yeah. And you've, you know, you've come such a far way to 30,000 with so much community engagement on your post and you've got a really unique style of what you're doing over there. So, um, you know, I love talking to all the LinkedIn influencers that are that are doing great things. So I'm really keen to get in and learn about your strategy methods and what's worked, what's failed with you today. So welcome. Thank you so much. I can't believe we are like here. I just think about how far we've both come in the last 18 months and I feel honored to be on on the pod today. I'm very, very excited. Um, I always get so like nervous and so weird about when any anytime someone reaches out they're like oh my gosh I'd love to chat to you I'm like would you do you really and I get so weird about it oh that's I know like people don't know right but you're pretty you're pretty open about your challenges I want to share something with you so when I was working at a bank like sort of years ago three four years Mm. ago I started trying to do the posting you know on LinkedIn thing Mm -hmm. because that was like five years ago you can imagine the kind of reach I would you would get five years ago when you started (laughs) and I did this one post where I said you know supermarkets are not the right place I would put money as a bank I, I don't know I just kind of was looking at them at the time and I just put my thought leadership piece I guess out mm-hmm. there and I got a call from a pretty high up person um in the bank very high up like general manager level oh my God. and got asked to take the post down <gasps> because it had gone all the way to um the CEO of Metcash which is one of the largest you know supermarket owners of like I think um all the Audis or something like that yeah. you know and so I was like why am I gonna have to- I'm not gonna take it down and they were basically telling me that I would pretty much you know I have no choice oh my god that's insane so and I thought I owned my LinkedIn handle and that was my thought leadership so I mean watching you do it right and I guess it's a different industry where they understand a bit more Mm. in marketing but you know has your journey been pretty much have you had that fear of posting ever when you started that you know I'm I shouldn't be doing this this is I'm not the founder like you know what kind of fears was going through your moments of those early days. Yeah, and I think that's actually a question I get asked all the time, especially because when people find out that I am an employee and I work a nine-to-five and I don't run my own business, people are like, oh, my God, how do you do that? Aren't you scared you're going to get fired or get in trouble? And very much like the story that you shared is super, super common. And I'm very fortunate that when I first started my journey, I was working at a digital marketing agency. It was like a... Uh, not a startup, it's been around about five years, but a smallish team, sub 20. Mm-hmm. But my manager, uh, manager, boss, founder, all mm-hmm. the same person, mm-hmm. was super big on LinkedIn herself. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, well, you work in sales, we're trying to find clients, you should do it. And she really encouraged me. So 
in a weird turn of events, I was encouraged by the company to put my face out there and become an extension of the brand that I was working for, the company I was working for. So in that position, I didn't really start out in this fear mindset of, oh, well, I'm going to lose my job because it was encouraged. But I've definitely found once I started posting a little bit more content whilst I was working there and then sort of transitioned to posting more for myself and less for, I guess, the sales intention of getting clients, I was definitely a little bit fearful of, oh, well, at the end of the day, I'm still employed by this person. I'm still a face of that company. I'm an extension of them, whether I like it or not. And I think it depends on your contract. It depends on your workplace. I'm lucky to work in advertising and they're quite understanding of having a personal brand, but I'm also the kind of person that understands, cool, whatever I say, whatever I post is technically tied back to the company I work for. So it can definitely get a little bit blurry. I'm still quite conscious of what I say. I'm not going to say something that is going to drag my company through the mud or make me look bad to if I do decide to start a company or maybe in five years time, I change jobs. I don't know. I haven't planned anything. I, I love what I'm doing at the moment, but I'm always conscious of this idea of cool. Everything is on the internet forever, especially on LinkedIn where it's tied to my job title, my company I work at, my own brand, you know, past, present, future. And so, yeah, there is that sort of fear of, oh, if I say something bad, am I going to get dragged up? And I think when, at least for me, when I'm having these conversations with other creators or people who want to start a personal brand, if you are really hesitant and doubtful that this post could rub someone the wrong way, it probably will and maybe it's not the right post. doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you can't push the buttons on taboo subjects, but maybe there's a better way to have that conversation. Or sometimes in extreme examples, maybe it is you need to have a chat with your manager and be like, hey, I feel very passionate about this and I would love to use my platform, my voice, or talk about it. And it's not hard to have those conversations. It's more just being considerate of that instead of sharing something super blasphemous and saying, I don't know, this, this is a made up example. Oh, I hate the company I work for. They're bad. And then expect to still have a job. That kind yeah. of thing is probably going to get you in some hot water, but you know, it's, it's definitely a, a fine line to, cr- to cross when you are working for someone else, but wanting to build a brand that's tied to you. That's really, yeah, that's really nice and insightful. I like that. I like even with my employees, I definitely want them to have a personal brand. I definitely want them to post. But I think you're right. Like if there is something, you know, there's sometimes IP information and they do come to me going, you know, are you okay if we expose this? And it's like, well, no, not really, because that's sort of, you know, what people pay us a certain amount for. So it's not free. It's not free for the taking as much as I love sharing, but there are, you know, competitive advantages that our clients have. And I think there's, you've got to draw that line as to what your competitive advantage is um so i i think but that's right i think coming and having that conversation is super cool Mm. so tell me like my biggest curiosity with you as i've been watching it and i've been watching your post come up i didn't notice how quickly you know that following has grown for you until i think the viral post we both you know um commented on or you know, I think we were both talking about, okay, someone went from 15K to 30K. You know, Sam Brown went from 15K to 30K. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that he posted about why he went viral and I thought, oh, my God, I think there's more to that. And then yeah. I saw you sort of comment in on that and then I went and checked you out because comments, you know, oh, what's Rosie <laughs> up to? And I saw, wow, you have really grown. But I also saw you've been appearing against, you know, on the side with Amelia, Sora, Littorell and, you know, big influencers. So yeah. what was it? Like, 
walk me through the journey because I've just seen your post, but I haven't understood or followed closely enough on how you went from a small base to where you are today. What's the secret? Apparently just being vulnerable on the internet and being like my weird self. That is the, that's the short, you know, T, what is it? TDLR, too long, too long, didn't read TLDR, whatever. <laughs> um, that's the short version is I think people really resonate with my weirdness and authenticity and I kind of have no filter, which is a good and a bad thing. So I can be very open in all of my content. I think people like that. And I think part of it was the kind of content that I was talking about, especially in terms of building a personal brand while struggling with anxiety and working for someone else. Whereas most people are building their own company. They're talking about the teams that they're hiring. They're a founder. A lot of people have sort of grown a little bit sort of used to that narrative. And I come in, I'm like, hello, I'm a bottle of chaos. Off we trot. In terms of more technically, and this is my strategist prank coming out, like how I grew from I started like, you know, 500 when I first started posting, maybe like 900 connections because I'd had my LinkedIn profile. And I'm now at, I think I saw it today, it was 33,333, which is fun because yeah. it's like, you know, angel numbers recurring. There's <laughs> something fun in that. I don't know. Um, the, the, it took a while for me to sort of go viral or to get those bigger numbers. And I always caveat that, sure, follower numbers look great, but it doesn't necessarily equate to anything if you're not doing it right. Like, you could have 100,000 followers, but you have no revenue to prove for it, no clients. So it's it's very much a vanity metric and it's great. It's great for the ego, but it doesn't mean anything if I can't sort of get something from that and have that end goal. And I think my the, the flip really switched at the end of last year. I was going to say a few months ago, but that's almost 12 months ago. When I had finished up at my job at the digital marketing agency, I had taken a little bit of time off and I was switching roles into a strategy role, which is what I do now and moving away from sales and client services. And with with my LinkedIn being tied to that, I would no longer had a drive to sell on my content. I was very much just like, cool, I'm just here to create. I just love it. And yeah. I think that allowed me to unlock another level of vulnerability, authenticity, openness, and even just new kind of content pillars. I really dove headfirst into the whole, you know, what does success mean? The Instagram versus reality kind of thing. Mental health has always been something that's there, but I sort of really just kicked it up a notch on all of that. And I think I had a few posts that went viral sort of the start of this year, which is, you know, great for the ego, but again, mm. it's just numbers. It doesn't mean anything if you can't, you know, you're not doing something with it actively. And I think once I sort of had changed that mindset and I wasn't selling to people and I was more just showcasing my personality and I was really focused on driving value and that's the biggest buzz term other than authenticity people always tell you mm. add value but I really understood who I wanted to talk to and understood their problems so I could then speak in a way that was natural to who I am and my unique tone of voice like how I send a text message to a friend or how I make a TikTok video and I was just showing up in that candid sort of authentic way but still always gave something back to whoever it was and that then ties into a whole strategy of community engagement and the kind of formats that I was posting and trial and error with content schedules and all of that sort of more nitty gritty formula kind of stuff. But I think the biggest change definitely came in being a little bit more raw and a little bit more me. Yeah. Who is your audience out of curiosity, if you were to define it? Who is the ideal? <sighs> 
I think it is people who have always felt a little bit neglected or lost in or shut down in whatever they're doing and they're just looking for someone that is like, oh, I just need that encouragement. I need that bit of a push. I think they're the kind of people that I resonate with the most. So it's not it's not dependent on country or age or demographic or even job title. Like it doesn't matter on age, like any any of that. It's kind of just more the mindset of, my content speaks to be very inspirational and positive just because that's the kind of person I am. I want to help people. I just want to, you know, make someone stay better, inspire them with my story and my learning. So they're the kind of people that I would probably define them as. And that was the longest waffle answer ever. But No, I love fine. that. I, I love that <laughs> because when we're trying to define, you know, who is that audience, sometimes we're always trying to get into the nitty gritty. Like I want a CEO of a SaaS company who is turning around, you know, anywhere from 10 mil to X and yeah. or is ambitious and you are now getting away from the problem. Like what mm. – and you have gone into mental health as a category, right? Then yeah. as I've listened to, you're probably a category leader in mental health but people don't oh gosh, might not you. think that, right? No we don't think that. We just think, oh, she's posting inspirational. But I always think strategically when I look back, what are they actually trying to be a category leader on But you are very mm. clear that I want to help this. And I think even what I'm reflecting, maybe that's what we need to be stepping back and saying, what do I want to impact? Who do I want to help? And not look at it at that nitty gritty, you know, sales level of who's my persona, but maybe look at a value level or a, a level of, hey, they need help with this. And that's what I'm yeah. going to connect with them on. And once you get the visibility amongst people that are like-minded to you, then, you know, the selling just happens naturally because you've got a connection. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think so the I mean, best creators that I see, even if they are trying to hire or they're trying to sell their services, they do it in a way that is really subtle. And it's not about, hey, sign up for my course. It's four weeks worth of content that talks about their service offering and shows them as a thought leader, but it's not about buy this, spend money, and they do it in a much more sort of, elongated sort of process but it's very sort of subtle implanting of the seed and waiting that you know nurturing that and it's not just that hard cold sell and that's when you can still be successful in selling with content especially on LinkedIn but it doesn't have to be as jarring as just a buy my thing oh sign up to my service it's like that's going to scare people away because they don't necessarily want to be sold to immediately especially if they don't know who you are or they don't trust you. Exactly. Do you do a checklist or a check of before you post a content that, hey, is this content inspiring enough? Does this does this actually lift and, you know, um, and lift someone up that's going through that? Like, do you do a sanity check with yourself before you will push that piece out? Or is it just in the moment going, I'm just excited. This is what's come to me and I'll punch it out. Like where, where do you sit right now in your content journey? I am going to be the most disorganized person on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm really organized in my life and my work and my calendar is color coordinated. But when it comes to my content, I don't use other tools. I don't have a content schedule. I don't, I've never scheduled a post in advance on LinkedIn. I just write and fly. I do always proofread because I don't like post editing and I do always sense check like if I've got that seed of doubt thinking, oh, is this a little bit too controversial? Is it a little bit too negative? I'll sense check it with a friend, my boyfriend, a fellow creator and definitely go through that. And I always make sure that at the end of the day when I'm reading it and I'm editing as I'm writing, I think, okay, does this actually offer someone to something? Sorry, offer something to someone. 
or am I just complaining or venting? And if I can immediately identify like, oh, I'm just having a sook, then I need to rewrite it and I need to think about posting it. So I guess in terms of sense checks, that's when I go through it. But in terms of a formal checklist, I don't really have anything. I just have my process of cool. I write when I'm excited. I jot down my ideas if I have them in the moment. I go through and do my editing. I kind of have a natural sort of, you know, process when it comes to my writing, just sort of very much sounds like storytelling or chatting with a friend. If it doesn't sound like that, then I know I'm doing it wrong. Like for me, big, long, chunky paragraphs is just not how I write. So it's those kind of things in my process, I think that just come out naturally, but I definitely do not have like a formal sort of tick off list. And that's got to be the the worst thing about me as a, as a LinkedIn creator, um, but it works. It works it's, for now. <laughs> absolutely. So one thing that I just learned, it's like you, when you write, you're chatting with a friend, that's when oh, you're yeah. writing, you're thinking that you're talking about someone. Who are you thinking of? Like, is it a close friend? Is it a friend that you haven't seen in a while? Like, who is that? Friend. There's no one in particular. I mean, as soon as you prompt me, I think of like my three best friends and my partner. They're the people I'm like, oh, they're the people I would FaceTime immediately. But when I'm writing it, it's just it's just how I've always written. I had a blog for a really long time and I wrote quite conversationally and it's how I write in my comments, my DMs, my text messages, my TikTok comments. It's just it feels natural for me. It doesn't feel forced. I don't try and be too formal because it's just not who I am. So for me, it's just like, it's it's like I'm writing a, a long text to my best friend or my partner or whoever it is and just catching up. That's the it just it's just what works and feels comfortable to me. And I think the big thing for me is that it doesn't feel forced. If it feels forced and I'm using language that feels uncomfortable or, you know, too formal, then I'm like, oh, this is not who I am. It's too corporate or it's too out of my comfort zone in in not like a good sort of growth way, in like a bad sort of way. So yeah. Now, now cool. I'm going to start thinking about who I'm going to write to whenever I write a post. <laughs> well, the reason I ask you is to help someone listening on going, you know, how do you write a conversation? Like, who do you think yeah. about? Do you think about someone really close or is that like going to be too informal, you know, like, yeah. or is it like, you know, a friend that sort of, that you haven't talked to that closely and you're trying to explain? Because I guess with your content, it's more easier to think about a friend because it's about mental health and that's who mm. you'd be talking to. Whereas sometimes when you're trying to provide value, say, to on LinkedIn, if you were mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is my branding strategy. Yeah. If your friend's not in branding, like, you know, how, at what level would you talk to them at then? Because it becomes as you sort of have different content that you want to put out and you're, hey, I want to talk about like, I don't know, cyber attacks or cyber security. Yeah. But your friends aren't interested in that. So for the person listening on to this, they might go, but who do I write to? How do I write simply? Is it to my clients that would understand? Is is my content going to be still too dense or do I need to write more simply and still think of a friend? You know, that's what people are going through. Yeah, I think when it comes to those more, at least for me, cybersecurity is very complex. So I'm going to call it a complex topic or something that is maybe super niche or maybe you're really passionate about it, but not everyone is. Like a lot of people are really excited about, I don't know, food and Christmas yes. movies but maybe yes. not everyone knows like the nitty-gritty of personal branding or cyber security or mathematics I know nothing yes. about maths when it comes to sharing a topic that you know heaps about you need to think cool the people I'm talking to literally know nothing they don't know the terms they don't know the acronyms and they're going to have a short attention span so when you think about it that way think about your base zero when you come to your client I think, cool, treat them almost like a kindergartner. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in how do we make this as simple as possible, remove the jargon. You can still keep it conversational and casual, 
but remove all of the technical lingo. If you've got something in there that is super, super niche to your industry, I don't know, let's say with personal branding, it is content pillars. I can't Mm -hmm. assume that everyone knows what a content pillar is. So I need to then reframe it. Cool. How do I just make this super simple? I can then go into detail later. I can save that for another post. You don't have to do it all in one go. So I guess when you think about who you're writing to, especially if it's a topic that maybe is a bit more complex or maybe you're reaching a completely new audience that knows nothing, treat them like it's their very first day and they've learned nothing. Keep it high level, keep it simple, keep it fun and engaging because especially when it is those complex topics, it can be overwhelming for people that don't know. For me, especially like I'm working on some brand stuff at the moment that I'm not as familiar with in the industry and I think, oh, it's a lot. And I just want to have like my Cliff Notes version where it's just really easy. It's super easy to follow lingo and stuff that makes sense. And it's fun to follow along with. Yeah. The, here, here's, here's one of the things that I have trouble with on, on this exact topic. And I'll do some thought leadership with you now. So my client will go, well, the people I really want to reach, right? They will understand this lingo. So I, like the technique, like so I've got a client that's like in angel syndication, not even angel investment, which we can all understand. Angel mm-hmm. syndication, which is like Never super. Never heard of that term. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but he's saying, well, the only people that I really need to understand are the angel investors because they're the ones that are going to understand this term. Mm. Now, the problem we've got then is if you, you've, you're now hoping that those very niche people are going to see this piece of content, right? And we have no yeah. guarantee what LinkedIn feels like doing that day. Yeah. So. What you can guarantee is if you write simply enough that those people most likely will see it, mm-hmm. it might be too simple for those people when you write. Yeah. And they will, the fear that clients have is that I'm not coming across like, you know, technical enough or I'm not coming across deep enough and mm-hmm. I'm not showing enough depth. Um, what's your – so I'm always struggling with – when I try and simplify their content, right, I'm struggling with them saying, well, no, this is just not deep enough and not showing my yeah. level of depth. Too, but what we're trying to do is go, but if you get visibility, but they're like, oh, that's kind of too high level. How would you, what would you say to them? I think there's a few, there's a few different answers I have in my brain. The first is trying to help them understand that there are different purposes for different places or platforms and different kinds of content, especially when you look at the marketing funnel. So you you know, imagine a funnel for those that don't really know the marketing funnel that might not be in marketing. You sort of got three, three or five stages of sort of the way that people move through when they're going to make a purchase or make a decision. You start at the top, it's broadest, it's all about attention, awareness, it's just getting known and being seen. So with that kind of content, that's where you see, at least for me, sort of a little bit of that highbrow social media content. It's going to reach a lot of people, it's going to speak to the masses, it's not about being super niche, super detailed. So it's trying to help clients understand, cool, what purpose are we serving? Is it that first stage of the funnel? It's the last stage where you know we've narrowed down who we're speaking to. We can be a little bit more particular, a little bit more niche, and we can have those opportunities where we can really prove ourselves and have our expertise. So there is the opportunity to be nitty-gritty and particular and show off that you know all of those things because you want to be able to prove yourself to potential clients or customers. You want to make those sales, but you just need to know where that goes. So if it does want to live on social media, cool, make it a long form webinar, make it an article um, or make it a blog or article post on your website, make it part of your discovery call case study process and have those other places where it lives. Not everything has to be in Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. 
because not every stage of the funnel makes sense in those places. If you're going to move those people through and you still want to show off your expertise, that's cool. But you have to be able to warm up those clients first, get them through that first stage, get them through the second stage where they're a little bit more curious. They're starting to compare, you know, your company with someone else's with a different competitor. And then you want to, you know, really, you know, finalize that sale, get them over the finish line. And that's when you can be like, hey, I know all of these particular terminologies, things that really make sense to you because that customer or person is researching it. They're a little bit more primed on it as opposed to a broad audience on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or whatever who maybe aren't necessarily going to be your dream client. You need to think broad. It's like, cool, who can we catch here? Let's keep it abroad. And that's when you keep it a little bit more simple. So it's, I guess, just trying to drive that conversation of like, Sure, LinkedIn is great and it's a really strong part, but it doesn't have to be the only part of your presence, your marketing, your campaign, whatever word you want to give it. I love that. You're saying, you know, let's do attention stuff and brand awareness stuff on LinkedIn social media platform. And then, you know, you can have your deeper thought leadership once they come in and book in a call. You can then show off your case studies, show off your technical pieces to really show the depth or when they go visit your website, show your depth then instead of trying to turn that content and put it right here because it won't, you won't, you need to get visibility more than anything. You need to grab attention here. So you can, the more people that see you, the more people then can get exposed to the next stage of funnel. Yeah. And it's not to say that you can't use that particular stuff here and there in your content, but maybe it's just using the terminology here and there, or maybe it's even a, did you know what the term age syndicate is? Here's five quick facts for you, or here's a quick definition. And so you're still showing that you've got this expertise in a really niche area, but you're doing it in a way that is fit for the audience because someone who is on LinkedIn isn't necessarily, you know, it's like 800 million accounts. There's only going to be a certain percent that are your dream client that are in the right country, right pay bracket for your services and all of that. And they're not necessarily actively looking. I think that's another part as well as when you look at the funnel and you're looking at that awareness stage, people aren't necessarily actively hunting for a solution. When they come to Google and they're searching, they're going to be a little bit more, you know, intentional about it. And that's when you can start showing, oh, well, we assume these people know what an angel syndicate is. Cool, tick, let's go to that deeper level now and actually yeah. show off how we've helped our clients or what we know, our proven case studies and experience. And that's where it all sort of feeds in together to all of those different touch points. I think there's a stat that I read that it now takes for a customer to make a purchase, whether it is, it, it, and this is usually a bit more of an involved purchase as opposed to like a chocolate bar or something. Yes. Um, or like petrol, like more necessity things. But it takes about seven touch points and that can be social media, word of mouth, TV ads, radio. Mm. It can be social media 14 times, whatever it takes. Um, But yeah, it's understanding that more nuanced and detailed customer journey and it's not just going to happen in one LinkedIn post. Yeah, absolutely. I actually read that it used to be seven. It went to 32 last year and now it's up to 52 this year (gasps) of touch points because especially in B2B, the buyer's journey keeps growing because they're getting fed so much information. They need more to really make the choice because they've got so much stuff going on. And so it's getting more and more touch points and how do you create them cheaply as well because it's expensive if you try and buy it. So I wanted to ask you also about your selfie strategy. Do you recommend, <laughs> I mean, it's obviously something, you know, I see you stand in front of your couch and you wear different dresses and, <laughs> you know, and you're taking 
photos and then you're making sure you try and add value but then I guess you're using the selfie strategy to grab attention and so someone watching on I actually told one of my employees I said watch Rosie why don't you just do that like take you know take a photo and if if you're struggling with creating like carousels you're not you're not confident on Canva and getting on Mm. like you know this this selfie thing could really work for you now so it's when did you take this strategy on right and is that it's your style it's your brand I would say in a way that people know that she's showing up so it tell me about like is that your recommendation that you know use selfies to grab attention who would you recommend does it and who shouldn't do it so it was it definitely didn't start as a intentional strategy Uh, when I first started on LinkedIn um video was quite prominent as a format that got a lot of reach and I was trying to grow my audience. So I was like, yep, from a strategic lens, it makes sense to do this. So I made videos and I then went into doing polls and videos because polls were getting a lot of traction, similar to how carousels are at the moment. And so I was toying around with that. And then I got to a stage where I didn't have the energy to make videos anymore. And I thought, okay, well, writing long form text post doesn't thrill me. It personally didn't bring me joy and excitement. And I think of my audience very much similar to who I am. I thought, why, why would I want them to read a long chunk of text? It's just not my personality. It's not my brand. It's not who I am. And, you know, it doesn't bring value to me. So I started doing photos instead of doing videos. And I had some photos banked up. You know, I used to take them. I would get dressed up. And this is like showing the evolution of my content. I used to put on a blazer, do my makeup for my videos. And I'm very much now just, that's just not who I am. I'm not a super corporate gal. So I take selfies and I would use those and I would make sure they would still be relevant and I knew that they worked, but I had never, never really seen it as a, ooh, if I post this, I'll get lots of attention. I'll get lots of likes. And it's never been the kind of person I am. I'm never trying to like thirst trap someone. And now obviously there's been a bit of a shift in the last sort of six to 12 months that photos evidently work. Photos of beautiful women, unfortunately, get the wrong attention, but work. Like, I hate mm. that whole side of things that people are making unnecessary comments on people's looks. I don't upload selfies because I want to get told, oh, you look hot. I upload them because it's part of my brand. It's part of mm. my personality. And it's just, I like showing up and showing my face because that works for me. So in terms of recommending it as a strategy, I'm always careful to say, if you're doing it just to get likes and just to grow vanity metrics, don't do it. Not for you. Wrong attention and it will show through. It works on the people that feel comfortable being in front of a camera. It works for people that are willing to show their face and tie that personal to their personal brand. I would recommend to most people that if you do want to build a familiar and recognizable personal brand, showing your face does tend to work with that. Whether that's in video, whether that is in pictures in a carousel or it's selfies, whatever, it does tend to work because it warms people up, your face becomes familiar and people buy from people. That's Mm. what we're seeing. It's all about rise of authenticity. So if you feel comfortable for it, go for it. I think my biggest sort of lesson that I've learned is uploading a photo and it has nothing to do with the post. I've been called out for it and it wasn't ever, I've never done it intentionally being like, oh, this is a hot photo, but it has nothing to do with my post. I always sort of think about, oh, which photo feels right for me, which one's not too scandalous just because I don't really like personally like you know showing up in my bikini on LinkedIn if that's for you go for it I have no judgment don't care Mm. but like you got to work out what's where your parameters are and I uploaded some post it was about sort of 
sick of being objectified on LinkedIn and I uploaded a photo because I was like, cool, I, I need this to get a bit of traction. But I also like this photo and I was kind of proving the point of like, this is a nicer photo, but it doesn't give people the right to comment on my body. And it was a bit of an experiment, but it wasn't really in the sense of, oh, I'm attention-seeking ho. And yeah. people in the comments. I saw that one. Oh, I saw that my one. God. <laughs> I actually showed my boyfriend that you posted that and he goes, is she being sarcastic or is she real? Like, does she like it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my like, God. So, because it, it, it wasn't clear if it's sarcasm, right, or if you're actually saying that I like it. But I got the sarcasm in it and I just go, look at this. I was actually looking at that. Po- it was attention grabbing, right? You were literally yeah. like, I love it. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is um, this is out there. And so oh, people yeah. may r- misread that in the co- in the feed as well, right? Yeah, there's been some posts I've done more recently where I've tried, I'll, I, you know, I'll upload a photo of like sleazy DMs, I guess, sleazy yes. comments of people being like, wow, I love your body. And I'll yes. make sure that I add enough laughing emoji in Just- the post so people, so sure, I'm saying, because the post comes across as, oh, I love it, yay, this is great. But in real life, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this. And it's, like, obviously heavily sarcastic. Yes. But yes. it's hard to convey that tone in content. Right? So it's it's very much that fine line again of, like, sure, you can have a strategy to go viral. You can have a strategy to get views, to reach more people, to drive more conversation. But for me as who I am, it's just to my core, I'm never the person that wants to trick somebody fool somebody you know take advantage of them and that is a big part of my selfie content I I think in the last two weeks I've uploaded one self uploaded one selfie which I just needed to take a break from it not for any particular reason it was just kind of like eh, let's just trial up some different things but I think I will always be a person that wants to add attach a photo of me to my content because that's just part of me and my brand and sort of what I feel comfortable with yeah, I mean, it's really hard work, you know, like just taking a selfie. I mean, you've, got, you've got to be exhausted. You need to take a break. It, it takes a lot less time than filming a video, I can tell you that. Um, but, yeah, no, it is It, it is a quick um, selfies are in and I think you've said it great. If you're comfortable, go for it. You know, if you like yep. it, go for it. I mean, I kind of felt almost sometimes shy that what am I doing, um, you know, taking this selfie what's the meaning of it but I think if you can choose the right selfie to show the right right emotion for yes. that post I think that's the winning strategy that right? is it. like yeah like I'm feeling sad so do a sad face I mean we're really entertainers at the end of the day like <laughs> an extension of all these actors and taking on like a role of making sure that mm. get people to evoke emotion in what we're trying to say we're an, yeah. it's an artistic way um yeah what do you, you you talked about you know going viral and you've had these viral posts what do you think the secret is is it you said you know it's about you feeling excited but if you were to like you know really understand the formula because everyone's obsessed with how do I go viral and how do I get more visibility is probably the better word how do I get more visibility what's the secret I always hate this conversation because every time I I, you know a post has gained a lot of views or traction it never brings me a lot of joy it always brings me a lot of stress and anxiety from notifications to rude comments to dms to connection requests, which sure sounds great to someone of like, oh my God, I'm going to grow. Oh my God, I want a million views. Mm. But I think they don't understand the dark side that can come with it. So I always sort of preface like going viral is not everything, but there's definitely an act, a knack for it, a, not knack for it, a strategy to it, I guess, more so today than maybe like three years ago when the platform wasn't as saturated as it, as it is now. 
I think in terms of analyzing my content, seeing other content that goes viral, there's a few different kind of ways, and this isn't necessarily going to guarantee going viral or millions of views or whatever, but sometimes it is being controversial and having a bit of a definitive statement. And you know that that's going to drive controversy. And when you drive controversy, it drives comments, drives comments, more engagement that gets rewarded by the algorithm. I saw a creator that sort of did it and it was, I'm on the, I don't really like this strategy as much personally, because mm-hmm. she made a definitive comment. I think it was, um, your profile needs to be nothing about you and all about your, your customers. And I, I, didn't realize this at first, but I commented being like, I I disagree with you a little bit. Sure, you need to yes. give back to others, but at yeah. the end of the day, you still need to show your personality. Yes. She commented back being like, I totally agree with you. And you know, that you see in this kind of statement that look at the comments on this thing, it's dry, dri- driven engagement. So that's, that's that's one trick. way. But I felt, that's like, I right. felt tricked and I was like tricked oh. for the comment. Tricked yeah. for the comment. Like I, that, I don't, I, I don't, like I don't it. like that. I don't like no, that. No, neither. Like but if that's your work. opinion, if, yeah, okay, okay. I mean, mm. if that's your opinion, but <laughs> it's a bit flaky. You're a bit big. Like you would kind of look at that person in a different light afterwards. Yeah, I, I cringed after that. I was like, oh, I have. I feel like a yeah after that. Um, yeah, so that's one way. Another way that I've seen is um spelling errors. People love to correct your spelling. <laughs> I I find that so funny. Again, not a surefire way, but just a funny one. Um, the biggest two that I've probably seen is having a really good sort of storytelling and personal sort of relatability air. And there's a few people that do this really well. Um, Tesleem, Ash, oh, is it Rutherford? Ruther- Rutherford? I can't remember his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do is they start with a really strong punchy hook. That's sort of its own thing is having that, I guess, powerful hook that gets people to stay reading, that gets people feeling like, oh my God, I have to find out the answer and piques that curiosity. But then personal sort of vulnerable storytelling works quite well too and it's not for everybody there's people who write really well that just know how to tell a story or they know how to make it sound oh my god I've been through this too and it's that relatability sense like toxic workplaces or people you know having mental health and being strong leaders like things that relate to a lot of people yeah. There's posts that I've seen that have been really powerful because they're, they're really personal stories. It's, oh, I lost my wife and, it, you know, this is all the stuff that I've been through and it's, you know, it pulls on the heartstrings. Yes. But it, it, it's true and it's not doing it for clickbait. People are just being honest and open and that vulnerability does quite well too. And I always I, – I struggle with analysing this kind of stuff because I don't want people to manipulate others with a sob story. But there exactly. are people out there who are telling their story because they're like, cool, I suffered and survived cancer and now I'm raising money to help, you know, fund this cancer fund and they're doing it for the right thing. They're not doing it yes. for clout. They're not doing it for yeah. views and that's where I think it goes wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, my strategy brain loves to analyze this kind of stuff. But, yeah, very much err on, the, err on the side of caution of going viral isn't everything and I think if your only intention is to go viral, you're not looking at content and building a personal brand in the right way. Once you go viral and those connection requests start coming in, do you filter through and accept the right ICP or do you accept everyone? Like how I do you go through that? Do or, not or wait, accept everyone. Or do you leave <laughs> some people pending and you don't look at it because it's just too hard? 
I I had one post a couple of weeks, months ago, and I ended up having a thousand connection requests. And I nearly died and I just left it and I had to chip away at it bit by bit because I'm not the kind of person that can leave stuff unread. So my connection request is at zero because I either accept or decline. And at the end of the day, I can't accept everybody. And at the end of the day, for me, I need to curate my feed and my community, especially with connections to people that I think I can add value to or they can add value to me. So I personally don't accept everybody and I don't really have a process to, you know, who am I accepting, who am I not accepting? It's very much on a case-by-case basis of who they are, what they're doing, what industry they're in, you know, what are, if they send a personalized request, what are they trying to say? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different things, but yeah, my, my connection is at zero because I yeah. hate, I get too overwhelmed if that yeah. is piling up with numbers. What about in time with with how you spend time on the platform commenting versus posting how do you you know how much time do you give to commenting per day versus posting or if it's on a weekly for you that's cool as well i i would say i spend 90% of my time engaging or commenting or responding to dms and 10% posting when i'm writing my posts i do it pretty quickly i'm still thinking about editing and especially if it's a post that is going to be quite personal or detailed I will write it over like different chunks of the day and sort of come back to it edit it write it again but most of the time that I spend on the platform is responding to comments it's leaving comments on other people's it's responding to dms it's lacking people's posts and it's definitely more the strong majority is that community building and community engagement compared to posting my own stuff I mean I've brought my content strategy down to about two to three posts per week at the moment. It used There was one point where it was like eight posts a week, that was five times a week. <laughs> and I've just found for now what works for me, sort of once every second day, once every yeah. third day. Um, but, yeah, I try and be on the platform every day, not out of obligation just because I, I love it and I hate having too many notifications, so I try and keep up with everything. And I want to show up for other people that show up for me. That's something that's so important for me and I think is a big key to building a a really engaged community is that reciprocal relationship and it's not just one way. Got it. Do you put bells on people that you want to show up for? Like is that how you keep on top of people that you are interested in? Yeah, definitely. And I think mm. it's a really good way because it shows up in your notifications. So they're not always going to be at the top of my feed and I'm not always going to remember every single person I want to keep up with to search their name and jump on their profile. Mm. So for me, I when I do remember, I turn the bell on and I see the notification and I'm like, oh, cool, I can go check it out because I really appreciate their content or they're a really good friend. Having done LinkedIn for the last year and a half, I've made some really good friendships. So yeah. there's going to be that bias of like, oh, I, I really care about this person. I want to yeah. see what they're, what they're sharing. I get so excited. But yeah. I do try and then look through just and scroll the feed and just see what shows up, whether that is a person I've been friends with for ages, whether it's someone I'm not even connected with, whether it's a new creator, to me, it doesn't matter what their follower size is. If I find the content interesting, I'm going to think, oh, how can I add value to them? How can I add an insightful comment? How can we then become LinkedIn friends? I love yes. just meeting people and building that like LinkedIn connection and relationship. Yes. Yes. I mean, I love going through the news feed sometimes and sometimes I think it's serving me shit. And I'm like, there's got to be a be- there's got to be a better way. Like just show me the shit I'm interested in, you know? Yeah. Like and I'm like sometimes scrolling, scrolling going, god, it's getting so annoying to find something and then I'll go look 
I've tried to do other stuff, like go look for a hashtag, you know, and just yeah. kind of go. And I'm like, nope, there's more shit here. So <laughs> there's no great strategy yet on how no. you um, – um, the only way is to go and ring that bell if you really like a creator and you want to keep up. Yeah. And I'm always afraid I don't want to ring too many because I'll get too many notifications and that will stress me out a, as a well, bit, right? A much. So yeah. it's like how do you balance that? But awesome. I have learned so much about your strategy and you've shared so openly about, you know, when to do what you're doing and when not to and how to feel comfortable in what you're doing. And I think, you know, you've really passed on like, you know, feel that gut feel in your belly, what's it saying mm. and listen to it and that's how you can go and get results and be really clear on exactly who you want to appeal to, not at that, you know, job title and demographic level, but what's the at a value level. So, yeah, you know, I've loved the chat. I hope everyone else listening on has loved it. Go follow Rosie Chong <laughs> on LinkedIn. Check out her strategy. Check out her feed. It's pretty cool. Go analyze it like we all did if you're really into it and a freak like me. But um, thank no, you no. so much for coming on and sharing. I'm excited to release this. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a great conversation. Some questions I haven't had before. So I hope people liked our rambles and learned something. And I look forward to seeing those connection requests. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rosie. You're listening to Innovative Minds.